Welcome to the MLM.com podcast. I'm Nancy Tobler, your host. Today, our guest is Spencer Reese. Spencer is a partner in the law firm of Reese and Richards. He's a member of the Utah, Idaho, Colorado, and Missouri bars. And he first became involved in direct sales as a distributor for Amway and Nikon and subsequently served as an in-house attorney to Melaleuca. Spencer regularly contributes articles in industry publications and is a frequent speaker at industry events. And we're very glad to have Spencer join us again. We apologize a little bit for the poor quality on the audio. There are a few beeps and boops that go on, but the content was just too good to throw away. So we hope that you are excited and ready to listen to Spencer. He talks about the Supreme Court's recent decision. He talks about the FTC's response to it and what they have done since then. Uh, He also talks to us a little bit about, you, you know, issues of income claims, health claims, those kinds of things. We uh, talk a little bit about us that as well. Welcome, Spencer. Let's talk about what's happening in the legal arena of direct selling. You bet. Hi, Nancy. Nice to see you. Well, the big news that we have in the legal arena is the Supreme Court's recent decision in FTC versus AMG Capital. Right. What that is, is traditionally, Section 13B of the FTC Act has been the section of the statute that the FTC has used to obtain what we would classify as draconian relief against network marketing companies. The statute actually authorizes the FTC to get equitable relief, that is injunctive relief, but the FTC has, and the courts have, since the early 1980s, have allowed the FTC to use that statute to get draconian remedies, that is, disgorgement, which means the release of all profits that that a company has earned. Yeah, essentially shutting them down, right? distributed or that the company is, is or that the FTC is entitled to recover those funds. Well, the statute does not authorize that and the FTC and the Supreme Court ruled in recently in the AMG Capital case that the the Section 13B of the FTC Act does not authorize the FTC to get disgorgement of profit of a company's profits. Well, what that means is it has much broader ramifications than that, because as part of that uh, um, disgorgement uh, relief that the FTC has received, they have also received ancillary relief that has allowed them to get asset freezes against the defendant, appointments of a receivership, right. and, and uh, those are the things that really keep the network marketing company executives up at night. Right. Uh, it, it's really it's a, and and they've always done it on an ex parte basis. That is, the the company does not know that the FTC has has been conducting this investigation and has filed this motion seeking to cost essentially the company all of the monies that it has earned, not just its profits, but all of the money that it has earned since the beginning of time, or since it started engaging in whatever practices the FTC claims is wrong. Well, the import of that, uh, that Supreme Court case is that the, FT, that the Supreme Court ruled that the FTC Act, Section 13B, only allows the FTC to get injunctive relief. It does not allow for disgorgement, which would mean that the FTC cannot get uh, the, the relief that it, it traditionally seeks 
which means it cannot also say that, oh, well, well, judge, these people are, you know, they owe this money or potentially owe this money. Therefore, we want you to issue an order expatriating or repatriating all assets and freezing their assets and appointing a receiver. I mean, all these other ancillary relief or things that are ancillary to the disgorgement, those are off the table too. Now, the FTC can still seek an ex parte uh, act or bring an ex parte complaint against the company, but what's the danger there? That's been the big problem. So that's what the big news is. Yeah. The FTC is not taking this laying down. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Legislation uh, introduced. We have HR 2668, um, which has been been passed by the, the House. It is before and accepted by the Senate, although the Senate has not yet had debate on it. But essentially, that HR 2668 in its current form, I don't know what the Senate's going to do with it once they debate it, but in its current form, it does give the FTC authority to, to this disgorgement authority that they used to get under 13B until the uh, AMG Capital case was determined by the Supreme Court. The FTC has also, you know, certain commissioners and members of the FTC have also been claiming that, we, well, they should have uh, what's known as, as uh, um, uh, pen the penalty offense authority. That is, the penalty offense authority means that if there is a practice that is widely known and recognized as, as trouble, the F or as, as illegal, the FTC has authority to bring an action against that company. And so they, we have not seen the FTC take any specific action on that. We have seen organizations like TINA advocating right. strongly that the penalty offense authority should be invoked. But we have not seen the FTC do anything yet. We've also heard rumblings that the FTC is going to revise or needs to revise the, uh, the business opportunity rule. And in the last revision to the BizOp rule, which was roughly 10 years ago, it specifically exempted network marketing businesses from the BizOp rule. Well, that's the FTC is looking at revisiting that and, and potentially having the BizOp rule apply to network marketing companies. But we have not seen anything specific yet on that. Uh, remind me what the BizOp rule is. Okay, the business opportunity rule is the federal the federal counterpart to what 26 states have business opportunity rules. What they are is I say they're akin to, they're the little brother to the franchise rules. Okay. Whereas a franchise is intended to apply to, you know, a, a business that essentially is going to cost millions of dollars. Business opportunities are far, far smaller in scale and in that's what the BizOp rule is. It does, it imposes obligations on companies that, that are subject to the rule, such as disclosure obligations, like the uniform franchise offering requirement, or the franchise uh, rule requires. Um, that's, that's essentially what the BizOp rule is in a nutshell. It's going to have cooling off periods. It's going to have disclosure requirements. It's, they're not, business opportunities are not illegal, but the regulatory hurdles are such that, that uh, a network marketing company is not going to be able to survive them. It'll choke them. The biggest issue that, that we in the network marketing field face is, and this is not just anybody, it's the old, the old problem we had forever on income claims. Yeah. 
Religion's opportunity rule is the, is designed to have a specific disclosure requirement for income opportunity claims. And, and thus far, network marketing companies have not been subject to that obligation. But if the FTC is successful in, in, in rejiggering the BizOp rule so that uh, network marketing companies are subject to it, then network marketing companies will have to comply with their income disclosure statement requirements. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so like I say, it was I, I was applauding the AMG ruling, uh, thinking, oh, well, at least they can't just come in and shut a company down, right? That's what's happened in the past, is essentially they just froze your assets and you were out of business. Uh, but that FTC just has turned right around and tried to find other ways around that. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much the case. I mean, let's face it, the FTC has really, they, you know, they, they, they like sucker punching a defendant. And yeah. they have found that it's far easier to win a fight if they, if they have that sucker punch ability. Right. They are not going to take it lying down that, that the Supreme Court has taken away their ability to sucker punch a defendant. So that's exactly what's going on. Right. Right, yeah, we've had some uh, cases uh, recently. Well, I guess it's been a couple of years now. Yora is the one I'm thinking of that have tried to fight the FTC, which I think is a good thing uh, because I don't think they should be able to just walk in and shut your business down without. I, I think the thing that's ludicrous is you don't even know you're under investigation and they just come on a Friday afternoon and ex parte issue yeah and that is they, they can still do an ex parte investigation and do it bring an ex parte complaint that that has not changed oh, okay but the danger of that is such that that you know because of amg they cannot the ftc cannot get the enormous and draconian relief that that they previously got on an ex parte basis yeah. It's a much, much higher standard of proof and it does it does follow the constitution insofar as it requires or it provides the defendant with due process. Right. So say when the FTC wants to sucker punch a, uh, a business or a defendant, they do their utmost to ensure that that defendant does not receive due process. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the thing. It's just ludicrous. So yeah. So anything else happening in the legal arena? Or that, that's pretty big. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's big. A whole lot else, but that's, yeah. that's been a real big, big issue. And, and everybody's now watching to see what the FTC does in response. We, we've seen HR 2668. We have not seen that get through the Senate yet. Um, but it has passed the House and it, it has been accepted by the Senate, but it has not been debated yet. Um, we have yet to see what the FTC does with the business opportunity rule and the penalty offense authority. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it's interest, interesting times, right? Interesting times we live in. So we have a few minutes left. Let's talk a little bit about sort of the customer focus and how you see us today as opposed to 15 years ago as an industry. Sure, sure. Well, you know, one of the issues, and, and speaking just from a legal perspective right now, rather than from a purely marketing perspective, um, from the, because those two are very different, right. from a purely legal perspective, you know, I have seen a number of network marketing companies trying to um, devise methods to reclassify their distributors as as 
customers. Essentially, they want to continue doing business the same way as before. Right. Um, making just paying lip service to the changes, and, and, and frankly, that doesn't work. And, and I'm going to interpose my own personal opinion, and that is, customers are a good thing. Right. I mean, how many Coca-Cola distributorships? How many how, does Coca-Cola want every person who drinks Coca-Cola to have a distributorship? Of course not. Right. They want several distributorships and then lots and lots and lots of customers. Customers are a good thing. Yeah. That's been the, the debate forever in network marketing. It's a different model than a Coca-Cola distributorship, of course. Right. But but in principle, that's that's the theory. I think the theme, I think that customers are a very good thing. And, and um, you know, it comes to how we've been on, but the issue comes down to how we've been onboarding distributors and customers forever. I mean, let's face it, it's got to go back to income claims, which I mentioned a moment ago. People are, are sold on a quote-unquote product because what they're really being sold on is an income opportunity. And how are they being sold on that income opportunity? Well, with income claims and, yeah. and the lure of money, of course. Yeah. And so that's what it really comes down to. So because people are really, they don't, they don't, a lot of people just aren't interested in buying just what they view as another Me Too product. But, but they are, everybody's interested in how do I make a buck? You know, and in these days of COVID, of course, and a lot of people, a lot of people are off of work or out of work and they're looking for work from home opportunities. And, and so that has been the, the proliferation of income opportunities, particularly on the web, has just exploded. Yeah. And, and so my opinion is that, that yeah, it, it comes down to income claims and income representations. That's at the heart of what the challenges or where the, at the heart of where the challenges lie. Yeah. Yeah. So, so really, COVID, uh, I think, accelerated a lot of things that were perhaps happening in some parts of the industry uh you know people were still doing income claims and they just you know kind of went through the roof uh people were doing health claims that they didn't have evidence for and uh that's entirely true but that's that's a a movie we've seen before right we have seen the the crazy claims with the sars epidemic and yeah we did uh, i mean if you go back to the spanish flu of 1918 had had the internet been around then yeah we we certainly saw people selling snake oil to treat yeah uh, uh, the spanish flu back in 1918 we just didn't have the internet right now it's so visible in public but, but again, the FTC is, is seeking to, has, and has effectively, has been pretty effective at shutting down those types of claims. This is not news. Every time we have a pandemic or an epidemic, we see people coming out and claiming, oh, these products are going to treat or cure or prevent or keep you safe from this, right. that, or the other pandemic, which we know is nonsense. Right. It just, you know, but, and the, the legitimate ethical companies, they're not going to make those representations. But right. we know that certain people, particularly, on the, on the field side are looking to, for anything they can say to help differentiate and distinguish themselves from the competition. Right. They don't lock down a sale or enrollment and that's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I mean, I really like, right, so th- th- this sort of shift to customer, I think, goes back to the Vima case and to the Herbalife cases, right, where they said, you've got to have more customers than you have distributors. That's just the way it's got to be. And I really like the customer if, if focus. We wanna, if we want to really take it back, it goes back to 1996 and the case. Well, that's true. In yeah, that's true. But but, uh, but but really, it would go back to, to the the omnitrition decision. 
because that's where the FTC got the notion that all distributor purchases are bad and all customer only customer purchases are good. Well, the Burnham's decision in 2016 said, no, that's not quite right. Excuse me, in 2014 said, that's not quite right. You know, if, it depends on the motive for purchase to uh, of a distributor. But distributor's purchases can be legitimate if the distributor's motive for making the purchase is based primarily on market demand for the merchandise right. and not financial incentives. And so, you know, that's, that's again, that goes back to, well, what's the reason for the purchase? We go back to income claims. Right. But, but you're, you're absolutely correct, Nancy, in that, that uh, you know, the, the customer-centric and focus is, is something that has been, the, the, it has been, it's gotten a lot of steam since 2014 in the Burnham's decision and the 2016 case. Um, and then, then the, the uh, Herbalife case, yeah, the FTC came right out and said, hey, we expect these many, this many customers. Right. And, and uh, you know, so that, that, that's got everybody thinking, okay, what's, what's the right number? Right. Well, there's not, we don't know the right number, but there's a number. <laughs> the FTC's got a number in their head somewhere. They're just not telling us what that number is. Specifically avoided giving us a correct percentage on is the proper percentage of sales outside of the network that is, is going to legitimize the company. They have intentionally not yeah, left us the number. We've asked, but they have not done so. And that's by design. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is just, you know, don't, I think all along they've said, let's not make the decision. Let's not make it super clear what the line is. Uh, let's move the line to the case that we're looking at. That That's how I've always felt. I mean, I think the FTC does good things. I don't mean to always be, uh, you know, saying they're evil or anything like that. But it does feel like they just have never given us a clear definition of what's a pyramid. If you even go back to that, right? What's the definition? They have not. I mean, they've relied on on uh, the definition provided in, in the Coscott case from the 1970s, but it's the factors determined and outlined in the Coscott case that had not been clarified. The most clarification we had came in 2016, in the, or excuse me, 2014 in the Burnham case. Yeah. Um, but but it's still very very muddy, and that's one of the reasons why the FTC likes their their 13B authority so much is because it makes for a much easier case for them. I mean, let's face it, the, the a pyramid case is very difficult to bring. It has a high burden of proof, and the FTC carries that burden. But but under their previous authority, under 13B before the AMG Capital case. The FTC knew that all they had to do was file a complaint to the allegation, right? And they would they would win the battle. They might lose a, a war, or excuse me, they would win the war. They might lose a battle or two, but they yeah. win the war because they have the assets of the defendant firms. They knew for, they know full well that a company cannot defend itself, right? Uh, with with that, the frozen assets, these cases are just far too expensive, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think COVID sort of uh, s- sort of pushed. Uh, surprising to me, uh, we did better. Uh, Canada did 26 percent better. The U.S. did like seven or eight percent better in terms of overall sales. Uh, so COVID is, uh, you know, and it surprised me. It's not just health and wellness sales. Companies 
that sold eyelashes, for example, did better. And I was like, what the heck is going on there, ladies? For example, eyelashes. I mean, eyelash salons were closed. Yeah. So people were looking for something else to do. Yeah. They were also online looking for income opportunities. Yeah. And they, you know, let's face it, you know, when, when we got various tranches of, of stimulus checks, people were stupid. We thought they were stupid. <laughs> and they had a couple thousand dollars in their pockets suddenly. And so they'd burn it on something that they... You know, they thought they needed. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of it is, you know, it's, it's online shopping and, and the social media thing. And that's that's where where business is conducted anymore. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's really shifted. Where it's going to be tomorrow, but that's where it is today. Yeah. And and that's people were home doing that, and that's how they spent the time and their money, their their uh, stimulus money. Yeah, I mean, they had you were locked in your house. What else am I going to do? But shop. I'm Jeff yeah. Bezos, and I became. Friends. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, you're so you're gonna try. You're gonna try all sorts of stuff. Yeah. I was surprised at those areas. I was surprised that they've continued to do well. Uh, some of them aren't a surprise. Uh, Metafast has done really well, and Herbalife. That makes sense, right? Because they say on average a person has gained twenty pounds during COVID. So we all went, ah, I got a diet. Yeah, I got a diet. That. That. <laughs> they call it the COVID nineteen. COVID nineteen. Uh, so yeah. So so it's really been interesting. I, I just well, I, thank you again for your expertise. But it's just been a fascinating ride the last fifteen years, and. Uh, in particular, I think COVID has done some accelerating of, I think our exposure as an industry is greater than it's ever been because more people are on the internet and that internet information gets captured so easily. It's it's so surprising to me that people don't realize that what you say is, is out there and you can be caught with whatever you say. Somebody will find it somewhere. So I think there's... There's um, the internet's really been a boom for the industry, but it also put you at as a company at more risk because your distributors are saying things, whatever yeah, they want correct. to say. I mean, you know, we've, we've seen, and it's more than just the internet; it's social media. Yeah. I mean, that's that's yeah. really. I mean, it used to be. In fact, I was just reviewing some policies with a, a client this morning, and and we have the policy that that you know whether you can create your own websites or mobile apps or whatever the case may be you know whether you need to get the company's prior approval for before doing so that that policy used to be very important it's a almost a non-issue anymore because everybody's on social media it's right. a bit as robust as a, as a website it's cheap it's easy i mean why not and, and it's yeah. effective it's a good tool if it's used properly and it's live. That's the thing that's yeah. right. Yeah. It's you are saying things live and people are recording you. And so or you're recording yourself. Uh, yeah, it's it's So it's, I think there's some vulnerabilities, but also people must be doing it well because the numbers sure show that as an industry, we did well. We did well. Uh, anything else? Again, just wonderful information and insight into what's currently happening. And we'll all keep our eyes on it and see what happens to the bill in the Senate and and uh, FTC's use of the business rule. The business rule and, and the penalty offense authority. Yeah, we'll see where that goes. 
I mean, if they, and, and, and you know, that's just what we have in front of us now, those three things. There may be more that, that we don't know about yet. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, as I say, they are not going to take this. They are not right. taking this AMG decision lightly. Right, exactly. And they lost it big. They, you know, it was every Supreme Court justice ruled against them. Yeah. They were smoked in this one. Yeah, it, it, was, it, it was interesting, right, that everyone, everyone, yeah, every judge, every justice. Yeah, it it was uh, it was universal. That just yeah, that just doesn't happen. Yeah, I'd forgotten that fact. That just doesn't happen. So, yeah. So anyway, well, thank you, Spencer. Uh, we appreciate your time and your expertise and sharing it with us so willingly. You were the first guest on MLM.com podcast. I don't know if you remember that, and you were the last guest uh, when we took a hiatus a couple of years ago. So welcome back. Well, it's always, always my pleasure, Nancy. I think you guys do such a fantastic job. I really enjoy it. Okay, great. Thanks so much, Spencer. We want to thank Spencer for sharing his expertise today. You can also check out some notes on MLM.com for definitions of legal terms and explanations of legal rules discussed in this episode. And I want to again thank Frankie. Jana uh, Bangeter is my producer and does a great job of keeping me in line Uh, somebody has to and i'm also grateful for joshua birch he helps us with the audio and did a wonderful job fixing as much as possible the audio issues we had and this has been the mlm.com podcast bringing you information and insight into the direct selling industry 